0: All right, if you're just joining us, if this is like your first time or first time in a while at Manuka Bible Church, we're going through um, a a series called The Story that's between now and April. And the whole point of it is to help us get a chronological picture of the storyline of the Bible. So many people are really intimidated about getting into God's Word. And so we wanted to, we wanted to fix that and really like help us understand what is the primary story. And so we've been uh, selling these books, which is, uh, they're five bucks over at the guest hub to, it has all the scripture, all the scripture that we're going to be going through between now and April in it. So if you're reading chapter by chapter, uh, we read a chapter and then we learn about it the next weekend at church service. So you're partnering with something that everyone else in the church is, um, which is pretty, is pretty exciting for us to do. And as we're going through it, we're actually getting into some, some realities that there's parts of the Bible that are really, really difficult or sketchy. If you've got your Bibles, uh, you can turn to jo- uh, Judges chapter 2 verses 7 through 14. But if you have your copy of the story, go ahead and turn to chapter 8. We'll be right there. And the thing about this is that we want people to bring it. We, uh, we want people to actually take notes in it so that when we get to April, we'll have a, a really gr- good grasp of what the storyline of the Bible is. Now, as you already picked up, we wanted that, that video with, from the Bible Project guys. They do such a great job of, you know, really helping it being very clear and at a glance But the whole purpose of Judges um, is to help us understand that one of the darkest periods of Israel's life came for a reason. A lot of times people look at the book of Judges as the dark ages of Israel's timeline. And they had some really dark periods, but this was the dark ages. And as you're reading Judges, if you just read it straight up, uh, you need to realize that there are some serious, seriously sketchy stuff there. On Thursday night, I had a chance to go and watch uh, Thor Ragnarok. Ragnarok, uh, with uh, Carson and, uh, and Micah. And, and it, was, it was an amazing time. We had a really good, it was a hilarious movie. And we left that experience just laughing about it and everything else. Radically different movie than, let's say, Schindler's List. Okay. W- would you agree? If you're going to the movie theater and you're like, I just feel like a movie. Or you're going to like the video store, I just want to get a video to watch. Thor or Schindler's List, it's about the same anyway. Who? Can- no, nobody says that. The reason is, is that you walk out of Thor and you're talking about the action, you're talking about sequences. When you get out of Schindler's List, your world has been exploded, you're disturbed. The whole purpose was to disturb you, to show you one of the darkest points in human history. So that you walk out of the theater saying, I don't just, I don't know. I don't even know what to think anymore. I didn't feel that when I left Thor. I just, kids, this has disturbed something in me that I, no! No! Totally different. So when you're reading the book of Judges, the same thing. We realize that this is different than a lot of other books in the Bible. But a key part of the difference is the fact that it is bluntly and forthrightly saying, we're just going to tell you as it is. We're going to show you how dark it got. And we're going to let you check it out and pick up the pieces from it. If you've got uh, your your, uh, copy in chapter 8, it starts right there at the beginning by saying this. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua... And of the elders who outlived him, and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath, Harry's in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, in other words, they all died, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites... Did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served the Baal served Baal and the Ashtareths. In his anger against Israel the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them. Just as he had sworn to them, they were all in great distress. One of the things that we see all throughout, that's like the intro, okay? But one of the things we see all throughout the book of Judges is this cycle. And and the the video alluded to that. And I'm just going to dub it the crazy cycle because it is madness. It's super madness. You'd have everyone uh, starting out with the default position between God and people. His desired position, which is one of shalom. Peace. You know, perfect peace. Peace between us and God. Peace with everyone else around us. Peace with the the, the, world, the environment that we're in. Peace. Shalom. And there's times that these guys are rocking peace for 20 years at a time or 40 years at a time. But eventually, they forget about God. And all of a sudden, they start to blend into their surroundings. And they start to like, they're surrounded by Canaanites. They're like, you know what? These guys aren't so bad. And they start to like saying, I think I'm switching teams on this one. Not con- entirely, but just... Uh, just to a little bit degree, and they sin, declaring independence from God. And when you declare independence from God, God doesn't say, no, 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 no. He he allows that. And when, when we declare independence from God, all of a sudden we experience what they experience, which is destruction. God granting independence. If you don't want me as your God, we have a covenant. We have a relationship. If you want to walk away, I'm going to allow you the independence. And so when they would walk away with the Moabites or the Amalekites, or the Midianites, any one of these people groups, they would like start to blend in, and those would be the people that would actually cause destruction. And they would eventually cry out to God, God, we need your help. Everything has gone sideways. And God answers them. Now, when I'm at this point of the crazy cycle, I'm a little frustrated because I'm feeling like these people are just using God. They're just using God to get themselves out of a situation, when I was in, uh, when I was in a freshman year, my freshman year in college, a buddy of mine said, you, don't, you, you came from California and you don't know how to surf. That's a bad thing. I'm from Delaware and I know how to surf, so this is messed up. This spring break, we're going to go down to Cape Hatteras and we're going to camp on the island and I'm going to teach you how to surf. I'm like, sweet. And so I, did, I just brought clothes and stuff and that, that's all that I had. And we're driving and we're at a point in North Carolina when we're in the middle of nowhere And you may be from the south, but this was spooky south, okay? This is like, this is the horror movie where I'm going to get eaten at the end of it, type of spooky south. And all of a sudden, Eric says, oh, we're we're like out of gas. Like the the needle is buried on E. And I'm like, okay, well, you you got money, right? He's like, no, I thought we would be at our location by now, and I was going to borrow some money from my friend. I'm like, Eric? And he said, like, well, you got some money, right? I'm like, no, I never have any money. What are you talking about? And he said, well, do you have a credit card? I'm like, no, I don't have a credit card. My parents would gather us kids around the campfire and say, and then the creditors came. And then we'd have all these terrible, I, I don't want that. So I never had a credit card. I didn't even have a debit card. And he's like, well, we're in trouble because we're going to run out of gas here. And I'm like, we will be eaten. And so I'm looking through my, my wallet and all of a sudden I come across this amazing card. And I had a flashback, bloop, bloop, all the way back to the beginning of the freshman year when all these people want to just like, you know, get all the, the sucker freshmen into buying stuff or whatever. And um, mobile, mobile gas company had a mobile gas card that you could apply for. And if you applied for a gas card from mobile, then you could get a bag of peanut M&Ms. This was a no-brainer. I mean, this was my first wise financial move ever. And so like, I'm like, yes, I want the peanuts, peanut M&Ms. And so like I had that, and I got the card, and all of a sudden I looked at it and I said, I have a mobile. And this particular card was good for mobile gas. And I'm like, if only we have a mobile gas station. If only. And all of a sudden, three miles down the road, Whoa! mobile gas. And I'm like, yes! We were saved. We will not be eaten. And we got there. I filled, up the, I filled up Eric's car with gas. I went up. I put the car down. And they said, oh, that's great. Would you like anything else? I'm like, yes, the peanut M&Ms. And then we were out of there. And it was awesome. Now, this is the thing. I had no allegiance to mobile, even after that. Like I, I didn't get a tattoo. Mobile saved my life. No, I, don't, I didn't do that. I don't care for the company. They were just convenient. They rescued me, but that was the end of our relationship. You get me? That's how I view this. They get to a point of absolute destruction. The Midianites are going to eat us. We are going to die here. God, you are our mobile card to get us out of this situation. And all of a sudden, God doesn't say, I know you're using me. Get out of here. In his mercy, each and every time, he raises up a rescuer. He rescues them by raising up a dude or a dudette. There was Deborah, too. And then he raises up this guy. And it's so clear. It is so clear that this is God doing it because everyone knows, like, yeah, this guy's okay. But he could not have accomplished this without God. So everyone's blown away. And they go through a period of peace. Again, 20 years at a time, 40 years at a time, where they're praising God for what he did But this crazy cycle that we look at, we read through Judges and we see how every one of the Judges is going through this. The people are are praising God. They decide to forget God and fall into sin. Destruction happens. They cry out to God. God raises up a judge. Then they experience a time of peace. Then they forget about God. Then they have destruction. They cry out to God. God raises up a rescuer. Then they have peace. And they go over. You're like, you people are idiots. Like, why are you not learning? And the reason is, this was not a crazy cycle to them. This was life. 20 years and 40 years at that time, that's like a lifespan, okay? So it's not like, man, this has happened four times in my lifetime already. A lot For a lot of people, this was just like their dose of life. And so they were in the midst of the cycle, and they didn't have, even have the clue that it was going on, which is why we have judges, because we can see bam, 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 and we can see at a glance, this was a mistake, and this was a pattern. And this pattern is something that we are still living in. And their problem was not a political problem. It wasn't a military problem, like they didn't have enough guns or, or to, to, to defeat the Midianites initially. Or to have, they didn't have good enough walls or, or security. Or, it wasn't any of those things. Their problem was a spiritual problem. And so as opposed to focusing in on any of the judges specifically, I wanted to get to why did that happen? Because I don't want that to happen with us. The first reason that this happened for them was that their faith was in a dude, not a deity. Their faith was in a dude, not the deity. Their faith was in a leader, not the Lord. And the reality is, is that that was something that we see right here in this passage. Go ahead and take a look at page 104, um, or if you've got your Bible, Judges chapter two, verses 18 and following. This is about halfway down the first full paragraph. It Starts with whenever. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was a judge and saved he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those oppressed and, who oppressed and afflicted them. If you've got your own copy of your Bible or the story, underline this. But when the judge died. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refuse to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. And that word for returned right there is, is this word for restore. It's like if you, were, if you were in a good, if you had good health and then all of a sudden you got sick, restoration means you go back to good health. It's like awesome. However, if you were living a messed up life and all of a sudden you got right with God and things were going right between you and him, but then you got restored, you're going back to toxicity and scripture says even more toxic than before. Uh, Where is Mike? Mike, can I have you come on up here? Um, This was something where they were putting all of their chips. They're pushing all their chips in for a faith leader, a spiritual leader and and depending upon him or her. And so what I wanted is Mike to come on up here. Mike is going to represent our faith leader. Everyone say hi, Mike. Okay. He is your faith leader. All right. Now, that's right. Okay, now listen. What, what what are some of the spirit people who've been faith leaders in your life who've impacted your growth in your spiritual walk following Jesus? Errol, Errol. <laughs> pastor, Dave. <laughs> pastor Dave. Not not. You don't have to. Uh, what, what types of people? Badger. Teacher, pastor, Badger. parents. How many How many of you were impacted in your faith towards Jesus by a parent? A lot of hands. Okay, how many of you were impacted in your faith by uh, by a pastor? all the hands go up. All right, good. How many of you were impacted in your faith by some type of like friend or spouse? Boyfriend, girlfriend? Okay, awesome. Okay, so these people were people, they were your leader. And like, man, I, and seriously, you're like, the reason that I'm a Christian today is because this person led me to the Lord. This person invited me to church. This person was, was, was a rock. And so what we do is this. We end up going through our life going, man, I'm just so thankful for this person. And like, I'm just like, Honestly, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be following. But because they were such a great be strong, brother. Because they were such a, a great leader, I am actually here today. Now this is fine until what? Until this person is out of the picture. And then <laughs> and then you fall. Why? Because you were leaning on him. Your faith wasn't in him. Your faith was in Him. The reason that we fall is because I, and I, I've been in so many situations where I've talked to people who said, "You know what? I was walking tight with God when I was a kid and in my teen years, or when, in my 20s, but then that happened. When that guy did that thing, it's gone. I was so, so tight. But then all of a sudden, that controversy in the church happened. And these people I trusted, I could no longer trust. And so how could I believe in a God when that guy did that? Or, or you're like, man, I, this guy was so amazing. And they were my leader. They were my pastor. They were my, my teacher, my friend. They were so spiritually amazing. And then all of a sudden, they moved. And I was going to church with like some other faith leader. And I was like, I, I don't have a relationship with this person. I, I can't continue on. We reduplicate the mistake that we see in the Book of Judges and their crazy cycle because we lean our faith on people who are human, who will fail, who will let us down, and when we do that, and when we fall, we're surprised. Like, why? Well, I, I can't. Where did my faith go? Everyone, give it up for Mike. Thanks, man. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's good. That's what happened with them. But that was their only problem. They were leaning on a, a leader, not the Lord. But they were also, regarding their faith, their faith was consumed, but it wasn't communicated. Their faith was something that, that they appreciated the fruits of. Again, they were living in 20 to 40 years of peace because of the fact that they cried out to God and God raised up a rescuer and they spent time worshiping God as a result. But that was grand, their grandparents or their parents' parents. But something happened in between their grandparents and parents and the kids because the kids didn't own it. They were enjoying the fruits of peace, but they didn't own it. It wasn't something that belonged to them. And we could see this again if we go back and take a look at page 103. Third paragraph. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, again, they died, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Something happened in the communication process where it dropped. And parents didn't pass it on. And maybe the parents were like, look, I I just don't want to force this on my kids. My parents were really, really heavy-handed about our faith and we're the chosen people and God brought us out of Egypt. I don't want to do that with my kids because I feel awkward about it. Or, you know what? My kids, they're friends with a bunch of people and they, they believe different things and those people are created by God too. So it doesn't, you know... And for whatever the reason the reality and the importance of their faith was not communicated or passed on. So kids grew up ignorant. And again, this is something that we can empathize with and relate to. Because you might have grown up in a family that, that wasn't following Jesus. And you're like, look, I'm like coming at this at 27. Or I'm coming at this at 37. And I, I, don't, I don't have a playbook for this. It's like, like, mom and dad, Jesus was a curse word. That's about it. And, and now, now I'm, like, trying to raise my kids, and it's awkward even to, to pray at the table. Like, I mean, because that's just, like, I, I feel... Because my kids know me. And I don't want to be a hypocrite. But I really want my kids to know Jesus. So maybe, for me, the best thing I could do is just try to get to church and get them in with some professional Christians. I don't know where they find these professional Christians, but <laughs> if they can listen to some professional Christians, maybe they'll understand Jesus a little bit better. Maybe they can explain him to me, but that, I'm, just, I'm in a rough situation where I feel awkward about communicating this faith that I own, but I'm insecure in. Their faith was consumed, but it was not communicated. Thirdly, it was, uh, their faith was broken by blending. It was very clear that God wanted to preserve. He was protecting his people. And again, the covenant was, we, this is one God, we have a relationship with him. Our, our covenant is, is a promise that he is our one and only. This is not an open relationship. This is a one and only God. And, and all of a sudden, and the, the, the reason that the Canaanites were to push, be pushed out was so that they would not be polluted into thinking, you know what, God is good, but he's one God of many. And again, we can see what was happening here. Take a look at, uh, let's actually look at page 103 there instead of what it's saying up there. Then, this is right after the verse we just read, then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. Okay, Baal, Baal was like this kind of like cow-looking God of rain, of the sea, and of fertility. Um, and so people would look to him, and, and, and Ashereth was, was a fertility goddess. Some, some pagan religions thought she was the mother of all the gods and goddesses. Other people said, no, she was just like the wife of Baal. But a lot of times the, the worship at this time in Canaan had Baal and Ashereth as because they were kind of a thing. And so they said, okay, here's the husband, here's the wife. Fertility, they're both about fertility. And so if we're having issues with our crops, look, I… I've heard the stories about how God brought us out of Egypt, went through the Red Sea, all that. But listen, my crops are struggling. And I've waited a long time. I got a neighbor down the street, Eric. He, he worships Baal, and he says that it works. He worships Baal, and he says that Baal is actually somebody who brings rain. Would it be so wrong? I mean, would it be so wrong if I just... I'm not saying that God doesn't exist. I'm just saying that I'm pragmatic about this and I just need a little bit of bail on this one. Or you know what? My wife and I, we're having, we're having real issues in the bedroom. And, and we've been trying to have kids for years. and we're re- This is so frustrating. Would it be so wrong? Because again, I know the, the people down the street, they were struggling with having kids too and they prayed to Ashtoreth. And guess what? They had kids. They've got five kids now. I watched my wife cry at night. And I ask myself... Would it really be divorcing myself from my faith and the fact that I'm one of God's chosen people if I just tried it? They're very pragmatic, very practical, and they couldn't understand why when they started doing the very thing that God told them would bring destruction. When it blew up in their face, they were shocked by it. We see this in the account with Gideon. I'm not going to even talk about Gideon's um, battle, but if you look at page 108, um, and this is actually, yeah, I don't have it here, it's, uh, but, but uh, page 108, we have the Lord talking to Gideon, and, and this is I do believe this is the second person of the Trinity who in, this, in the New Testament we get the name of Jesus talking to Gideon, and he says this, the, the angel of the Lord, whenever we see that, that's like a flag. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Orphra, that belonged to Joash, the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now listen to Gideon. Gideon asked the question that all of us have asked. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? If the Lord is really with us, Why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. And you know what the Lord does right there? He answers his question. No, he doesn't. He doesn't answer his question. He basically almost, it's almost like the reader understands, Gideon, we all know why this happened. You guys blend it in. Your faith with, with the one true God was broken when you started to blend in and accept other gods as your, as your God, as your savior, as your deliverer. But God doesn't even go into that with Midian. He just basically jumps over that and says this. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of, Midian, out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? God is saying, listen, I'm not gonna give you an explanation for something I already talked to you about. All I'm saying is this, you're going to rescue the people and you're gonna do it because I am with you. I have not left you. Even though you've blended in, even though you've broken the covenant, I have not left you. I'm going to rescue you and you're gonna be the person that's gonna actually do that. A lot of times people's faith gets rocked when we get to a point in life, when we, we look and say, why is God allowing this to happen? And sometimes what has happened is a result of our distance from God, living a life that is away from him and we're incurring the natural ramifications of those. Or we're in a world where there are a bunch of other people who are rebelling away from God. Our bodies break down, everything else, but, but, and we're the victim of somebody else. And the reason that we can, we can point to is we know that we live in a sin, we, sin-soaked world. Totally, absolutely. But the thing that God is calling his people to do in the midst of that sin-soaked world is not to blend and this is a problem for every human being, not, not just Christians, but every human being. At different points in human history, racism, systematic racism, was something that was absolutely okay. It was the norm. At different points in, in, in our history as a country, it was the segregation was the norm. It wasn't unique. It wasn't this group of people. It wasn't this campaign. It was the norm. And a lot of people just looked at it and said, well, that's the way it is. What can we do? That's the norm. But when... All of a sudden, the civil rights movement starts. You have people who are people who understand God's word saying that's not what the Bible says. The Bible talks about how God has created man, kind, men and women in his image, and they have intrinsic worth regardless of their color, and that God loves every single people group and that his, his love is not identified only in one people group at a time. That may be the norm. That may be normative for everyone else, but that's not my norm. When we, when we watch the news and we, when we, when we see the sex abuse scandal in Hollywood and you realize that it's not just Harvey Weinstein, you realize that all of a sudden it starts to surface and more people are coming out and, and all of a sudden you realize, no, this isn't a Hollywood problem. This is sex abuse in Hollywood, sex abuse in the workplace, sex abuse in the church, sex abuse in the home, sex abuse everywhere you look. And all of a sudden people are starting to speak out that this happened to me too. Why is it that no one said anything before? Because the norm was, I hate this reality, but this is the way it is. What can you do? Even in Hollywood, people who are are, are so progressive, but but I can't say anything because this is just the way it is. Now, if sex is just, I mean, if we're just biological, okay, then sex is just a physical, it's something that we have physical needs and we meet them. And we can meet them however we want. If we're just biology and someone else is just biology, there's no specialness to humanity. Well, then we could do whatever we want. That could be the norm, and you could justify: I have physical needs; I need to have met. You're here. However, we realize that if we are people of the book, that God has in put placed intrinsic value on mankind, women, kind. And that, all of a sudden, that value is something that tells us we can never impose upon that. And not only that, sex is not simply a biological or physiological uh, reality. It's actually something that's sacred. And and, and when we're people of the book, all of a sudden we realize that we can't blend into a normative perspective that says, no, it's just something that you do or it's just something that you get your your physical needs met. Because we recognize that sex as defined by scripture is a God-glorifying god glorifying Act a God-glorifying act where I lay down, I physically lay down my life and my body to bring pleasure to the spouse that I have pledged my entire life to. Sex is a God-glorifying activity where I am physically laying down my body for the pleasure of the spouse that I am married to, that I've pledged my whole life to. Anything outside of that is sin. And the reason that it's sin is because it diminishes human flourishing. It's not the design that God created us. When you have anything that is getting your physical needs met first and foremost and that's what you're doing or you're getting your physical needs met outside of the confines of marriage or you're getting your own physical needs met just with you. That is outside of that relationship that God has called sacred. Now that's not the norm. We know that's not the norm. That might be even a challenge to some of us here today. But when we look at everything taking place in Hollywood and the workplace and the church, as people of the book, as people of God, we say, this is sacred. And that's gonna keep me so far away from abuse because the only place that this is allowed and cherished and good is between, in that relationship that God has called us into. Blending is something that we're not called to do. And, and we, when we see that when we get to, I love how the, the, the video put it, that, that over four, at four times um, in the book of Judges, it says, in those days, Israel had no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Why do we blend? Because it's very easy to justify whatever I want to do because it seemed right to me. And the interesting thing I love about this is that it says, it, the last verse of the book of Judges says, in those days, Israel had no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And you see the chaos is the book of Judges. But what happens right after that? We have the book of Ruth which is talking about the origin story for the Davidic line of his kingship. And that's followed by other elements of how the kingdom came into Israel. How ultimately, all that was pointing towards the fact that we need a better king than a human king. Because this could be a, a statement over us. In our days, we have no king, and everyone does what's right in their own eyes. Which brings us to the question, who is your king? Who is your king? Like, who is the absolute authority in your life? the person who calls the shots, who like, I'm gonna, I, I know that I want to do this, but I'm not going to do this because I have someone who's calling the shots. Is the king in your life your girlfriend or your boyfriend? Is the king in your life your spouse, your boss, other people's perspective of you? Is that the king where you're like, I bow the knee to that. That is what I'm, I, I will surrender and submit my whole life to. Or is your king Jesus? Because when we look at the crazy cycle of the judges, we can get all judgy on them, but we have to realize that this is our story too. We do the same stupid thing over and over and over again. And when I look and I start judging the the Book of Judges, I start I have to take a step back and go, "This is your story." And the only one who can break this, the only one who could stop this, according to Scripture, is Jesus. Because what Jesus, the Prince of Peace, did was He entered into our sin on the cross. When we declare our independence from God and distance from God, he came near. Our destruction was not given to us. He took our destruction upon himself on the cross. And when he cried out to the heavenly father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The heavenly father did not stop what was happening. The heavenly father did not take him off the cross. Jesus died and then was raised. The rescuer was raised. So now that that happened, my peace is resting on him. How do you know that you're not saved because of your own good works? How do you know that that it's not like you just being a good enough person that God accepts you? Because our peace does not rest on us. It rests entirely on Jesus. Amen? And because, now this is the best part about that. See, uh, Tim Keller, he said one time that religious people find God useful. Christians find God beautiful. And when you see what Jesus did and the beauty of what he did and the love of what he did, all of a sudden it doesn't make you into a more legalistic person. It makes you someone who recognizes that the peace that has been afforded to you by Jesus is now something you are enabled to walk in. Like I can start to like make decisions following Jesus, walking in that peace. And when we get to a point we look at our timeline at a glance, we feel shame about what we've done, Even if what we've done is similar to what was happening in ancient Israel, we could say that if Jesus is our king, this changes everything. I no longer have a faith that's dependent on others. I have a relationship with the king of kings, and that's between Jesus and me. And that means that when I leave church... My faith input has not ceased. I didn't hit a brick wall in it. Instead, I start to grow closer to him each and every day. I talk to him. Is it natural? Does it feel easy? No, it's kind, of, it's kind of weird at first. But I start to talk to God. I start to get into his word. Because I understand everything? No. But because this is God's voice to me. And I get to walk in and understand who he is and have the joy of having the fact that I am never, ever alone and he will never, ever leave me. I, I, I go from having a consumer faith to a faith that actually does have communication, that I'm able to be bold and share what I know. When I'm talking with my agnostic friends, do I have all the answers? I don't. When I'm I'm talking with people who don't know about Jesus, do I have all the right words to say? No way. But I'm able to share what I know. And when I'm sharing what I know, what I picked up from God's word, when I'm bringing people with me to help, uh, hey, look, I'm on this journey too. I'm just trying to understand it. All of a sudden, I start to realize that I've got something to say. If you're a parent and you feel that awkwardness, last year we started something called the Parent Plan. And I want to encourage you to jot that down. Um, Manukabible.org parent plan. This is where you like, go onto the website and you sign up and you say what your kid's birthday is. And so when your kid turns eight, you go over to the guest hub and they've got a packet waiting for you for how do you lead your kid when he's eight years old to know more about Jesus? How do you lead your kid when they're 14 years old to know more about Jesus? How do you do that? Not not the professional Christians, but you. How do you do that? And then all of a sudden you get a chance to walk through and understand what it is that God is calling you to do as a parent who's actually taking the faith that you have, even if it's a, a baby faith, and passing it on with the confidence that comes from God. And then finally, instead of being one who's blending, you have secure engagement because Jesus engaged. He engaged. Our king engaged a broken world. He, he engaged the pagans, he engaged the sinful people, the drunkards, the prostitutes, he engaged them. And we are called to as well from a place of security because I know where the lines are drawn. I know what I'm called to and what I'm not called to. I'm able to engage those who are far from God with the confidence that I'm going in with the king. I'm going in with the king. Who's your king? Who is your king? Is your king Jesus? Or is it anyone else? If it's anyone else, what if this November, November 2017, that was the time when you said, I'm not only gonna just say that you're my king, I wanna make you my king and I wanna follow you. I'm gonna take my entire life and I'm gonna bend the knee to your way and what you've called me to because you are the author of my peace and you're beautiful, amen? Amen, let's stand for prayer. Lord Jesus, it's so easy for us to um, get hung up on our past. It's so easy for us to get stuck in a rut, Lord, of thinking that our entire world uh, rests on our morality, on our decision-making, our salvation depends on it. We know that it doesn't. You authored that. You afforded the payment for all of our wrongdoing, God, and you did that so that we would be able to be a beacon, a beacon of your restoration, of of your work in us, that we weren't called to, to live out our faith on the DL or flying under the radar, but instead to be a, a bright light to anyone around us who doesn't know. Lord, I pray that you help us own that today. For those of us with kids, I pray that you help us pass that on starting today and we will give you the thanks for the life that comes from that. It's in your name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. See you next week.